Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series Star Wars Resistance. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and today I'm reviewing Star Wars Resistance Episode 8, The Platform Classic. Uh, this one, it, it's... It, for, needless to say, it was in a very emotional episode. Uh, very uh, focused, as far as the story goes, on Yeager and his brother. Uh, I've got a lot to discuss with that. The review is going to be a little bit different than I usually do. Um, I'm not going to get as detailed as usual because of how the story was structured. It was just about them. So I want to focus on that and what the message was um, and the consequence, all that. Uh, before I do, uh, I do have some other things to touch on as far as Star Wars news. Uh, we did get an announcement of... Star Wars uh, Kids, which is a going to be a new um, channel on YouTube, and it's going to have new shorts uh, that are have very anime style to them. Uh, it looks like it's going to be it's called Galaxy of Adventures, and it looks like it's going to be a retelling of uh, the movies and maybe some other stories, uh, but very kid friendly. Uh, kind of in a Forces of Destiny vein, if you watched uh, uh, Star Wars, uh, tweeted out the commercial for the trailer. Uh, I l- Some people are already saying, well, why, why are they making it, you know, yeah, all, all kiddie and everything. Uh, I mean, you got to start somewhere with getting your young ones interested in the series. I mean, some people, you know, got into it at a later, later age, and... Um, you know, it wasn't like, uh, as I talked about in episode one of my podcast, I just happened to be born the same year the first movie came out, so it's just organically been a part of my life. But it's different for everybody. And I, I do think it's inter- uh, it's good to retell the same story differently. It, it's funny, the other day I was uh, driving my son, my guest co-host, to school, and he had just watched, uh, I think it was on Thanksgiving, after we recorded the um, Lego Star Wars review, which is on um, on the Radio Dakar channel. Uh, we had recorded that, and we were settling down, and Wizard of Oz was on. Uh, and he's seen the movie before. He really likes it. So, but, so, so he watched that. And then over the weekend, uh, they did the episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, on Disney Junior, where they did Wizard of Oz, their own version of it. And so on the way to school, he was asking me about the differences. He said, why why was it like this in Mickey and like this in the movie? You know, the Tin Man was different and stuff like that. And I said, well, it, it, it's okay to tell a story differently. It depends on who your audience is. And sometimes the story needs to change. Um, you know, it's important, and I told him this, I said it's important to retell the myths and the stories over time, but you can tell them in a different way. Uh, think about how many different versions of Robin Hood we've had and the King Arthur legend. Um, and I, I, I took a, um, when I was in college as an undergrad, I took a 
course. It was a comparative literature course, but it uh, we read um, like portions of the Bible of the Old Testament, and then read modern novels um, that were just re you know, and to understand why they were retelling the story, but the basic concepts of it uh, that you know, Frank, the, I read Frankenstein, and it was um, you know retelling of creation and the responsibility of that, and that's yeah, I had made that point to him. You know, yeah, the two versions of Wizard of Oz were different, but that's good that you get a different interpretation and you can keep the story going. Same thing with this, with Star Wars. I mean, there have been multiple retellings of the original trilogy, especially. But if, you know, they've got a new animated kid-friendly way to do it, I'm, uh, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. I hope he enjoys it when it comes out. And I think it comes out November 30th. Um... I think it's not going to be as region locked as some of the other programming they do. Um, so, um, most of you should be able to see it. Uh, we also got information about a new line of toys uh, called Microforce Wow, and it looks like little mini, like little mini figures, um, kind of like the. Can never remember which brand has the license. It's like little play school figures. Um, but they come in a plastic lightsaber where the tube is hollow, and there's four uh, characters per tube, and it comes with stickers. But they're 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 blind bagged. They're like you know foil wrapped, so you can't see which ones you're getting. So you know, of course, the incentive is to buy um, buy them, try to collect them all. Uh, but the cool thing is, especially relating to this show, is that it will include resistance figures. Uh, just looking at the packaging that was put on. Uh, if you go to jedinews.co.uk, they have the story, and they mention uh, it's a Walmart exclusive this fall, and then starting January 1st, uh, it will be available at major retailers. But if you look at the packaging, uh, Bucket is on there for one, so there will be uh, resistance figures in this. So it might be neat, um, since I don't think we're getting the action figure assortment from Hasbro until the spring of 2019. So this will be your first chance to maybe get some uh, resistance figures. I personally am not a fan of the, the whole blind bag concept. I understand from a marketing standpoint, yeah. But I, I did it a few years ago when they had the Simpsons Lego minifigures, and you had to blind bag them. I don't need five homers. You know, I'm trying to collect all 12. Um, so I don't know how many exactly are in the assortment. Uh, for the Star Wars figures, uh, this is just wave one. Um, so I, I might try to, I might grab a couple for the boys, uh, just to try to get resistance figures, and I'll update that. And then uh, the last thing I want to get to, um, I'm recording this on November 29th. Yesterday, November 28th, was the fourth anniversary of the release of the Force Awakens teaser trailer, which, uh, for those of you who don't remember, that was Black Friday that year the day after Thanksgiving, and they put it online in the morning, but at the exact same time, you could go to the movie theaters, and it was shown in front of most, if not all, of the trailers uh, that were being shown that morning. And I've, on episode one of my podcast, I told the story that um, my oldest son, the first Star Wars movie I took him to see was Solo this year. Well, before that, the only time he had seen Star Wars at all in the theater was this Force Awakens trailer. 
he was just about to turn two. Um, so, you know, it didn't matter what movie I was going to take him to. He wouldn't sit through it. So I just found what was showing. Uh, I bought tickets to um, Hunger Games Catching Fire. I bought, you know, I didn't care about spending the money, but I bought one for me, one for him. So we went in, and we just watched the trailers until that one showed, and then we left. Um, but that, that was... It, it was a, I mean, it was fun doing it with him, because he, he already knew about Star Wars. But just to get that first look at this new era with him was really neat. And I I had read online, I knew that, you know, who the new new cast members were, and I'd read the reports about, well, um, there's a stormtrooper who defects, so when John Boyega pops up, you know, without the helmet on, it wasn't a shock, but the shock of him popping up was, you know, good enough, and, and then we got a first look at Ray and Kylo Ren, and I don't know what it was, but Poe... The shot of Poe, and then the X-Wings flying over the water on what we found out to be Taco Donna. It really hit me with that shot that this movie takes place in the future from what we've seen so far. And then, you know, we get the shot of the Falcon at the end, and, you know, people are like, wow. Um, so as soon as uh, the trailer was over... And it said, Star Wars The Force Awakens coming next Christmas. Um, my son said, Star Wars! And I said, yeah, that's right. Let's go. And so we just got up and left. And I went home, and of course it was online, and everybody was talking about it. But that is my first memory of seeing sequel-era footage and sharing it with my son. And that's gotten us to where we are today, where I'm re reviewing a TV show that is based on that era of movies. So let's get right into it. Uh, so the Platform Classic, uh, written by Kevin Burke and Doc Wyatt, who also did The Triple Dark. And there are, uh, a reminder, they're also the ones who are writing the uh, story, uh, the Resistance story that will be in Star Wars Adventures comic book by IDW. Uh, it's Adventures number 16. I think the release date got pushed, so it's... If it's not next Wednesday... The 5th, it's the 12th. I'm not certain. I'll tweet that out as a reminder. So they've, you know, I've, I've enjoyed their work. And um, Doc's fun, uh, good to interact with on Twitter. I've asked him questions before. It's ironic. I asked him, or coincidental, I, I asked him, you know, a few weeks ago about the Sky Rings and if they can change the configuration for different races. And he said yes. I didn't know at the time that he was writing this episode where they have a new configuration and it's totally awesome. Um, I will get to that. The race itself was incredible. But, as I said, this is a very personal episode. The First Order's not in it. The Pirates aren't in it. It's just about the race and what it means to Yeager and his brother. So, that, that's how I'm going to approach the review. I, I've got details to talk about, but... Uh, Mostly I want to talk about, you know, the the meaning of the episode, and, and I mean, I'll get right into it. Uh, once we found out about his family, and we knew, you know, we saw that picture of him and his wife and kid on Batu. Yeah, I got my audience with me. You're doing pretty good, buddy. When we saw that photo of them on Batu, okay, you knew something had happened. 
that he's not they're, they're not with him. I mean, it's one of those things where you you hope it's just that they're estranged and that you know something happened in his life where he needed to be away from them and they're off on whatever planet. And then you know there's a chance. Well, maybe you know the first order killed them or some remnant of the empire, and that's why he wants to get away from all the war and everything else. Um, but no, it, it's something else. And I'll be honest, the first time I watched the episode, I had a hard time dealing with it because I did not expect it to be that personal. Um, so at first I was like, man, that that is just so heavy. Uh, having watched the episode a couple more times to take notes and show, watch it with the boys, um, I mean, I, I appreciate that they went that direction with it and gave us, you know, something to chew on and make Yeager that much more of an interesting character that he has to deal with this. Uh, but, but yeah, I'll go over some details and then we'll, um, I'll get into more discussion. Um, so, you know, they're, I mean, the, the entire episode is about the Platform Classic. Uh, from Right from the beginning, beginning they're getting prepped. Uh, you know, Tam wants them to finish repair so they can watch it. And, you know, Kaz immediately knows that Marcus, uh, Speedstar, might be making an appearance. Uh, he's excited. I mean, he ob obviously understands racing and, you know, what it means to the galaxy. And also, um, you know, when they go to see Captain Doza, he mentions that Marcus is the three-time winner of the Five Sabres. Alright. What's great about that reference is that that is something from Bloodline by Claudia Gray, which, um, I mean, I said it in uh, episode two when I talked about what I expect to see on the series. I talked about it in the book review episode I did where I reviewed Bloodline along with Phasma. I was so hopeful that, as critical as that book is to understanding the politics and situation of the sequel era, that they would incorporate that book somehow into the series, and that's, just, and that's one step, but I love it. And I asked uh, Doc about it. Uh, I, well, I said, uh, "Hey, good job incorporating, you know, stuff from Bloodline." And he said that uh, that was actually Pablo Hidalgo's idea um, to include that when they were in the writers' meeting. So thanks, Pablo. Uh, but the Five Sabers, um, again, please read Bloodline. It's a great book. Uh, but that is the it's, it's a massive interstellar race that um, Han was involved in, and um, that's why he's away from Leia at the time of the book. Um, and also, it and, and it goes to something that um, when Kaz is talking to Marcus, and you know, after the Battle of Jakku and the final defeat of the Empire, that that's when Yeager started to race because um, he had been an X-wing pilot, and then Marcus was racing. Um, and that, that really opens up the whole thing about okay, here's where we are in the sequel era. After the defeat of the Empire, even though there's political instability with the creation of the New Republic, you've got to imagine for, you know, just people on whatever planet who are trying to live their life, this is the first era of peace since before the Clone Wars. So, 20, 30 years, depending on where they are and how far-reaching the war was for them. You had the Clone Wars, you had the Empire, you had the Civil War, and finally there's this thing and you know for a lot of veterans of those battles who are still around like Yeager 
um, there's probably that desire to do something thrilling or um, just need that adrenaline rush. And so I, I understand that racing, yeah, racing could fulfill that. So I think it's uh, really interesting. Uh, clearly, there's an, they mention it enough that there's racing is that popular around the galaxy. It's always been because we've got the pod races and the prequels, and then um, it mentions of other stuff. And then, like in the sports bar in Attack of the Clones, you see uh, they're watching sports on other planets and stuff like that. So it's that important. But then, I, I mean, they haven't said this in anything I've read, but I'm just imagining this is what happened after the war and the establishment of the New Republic that maybe racing had a boom because people wanted that excitement. And you know, it, it was a chance to escape and re- relax after what the galaxy had been through. So I'm, I'm just glad they mentioned the Five Sabres. Um, and if you had the Han Solo comic, which was a limited, uh, I think it was a four-issue run, uh, Han competes in a race in that. So it, it's always been there in this galaxy. Um, this kind of high-stakes racing, but to know that it's not just them doing it for kicks at the Colossus, that it's all over the galaxy still, and that it was an escape for people like uh, the Eagers, um, which, you know, had tragic consequences. But, you know, that just that one little mention in Doze's office, open, and what Marcus talked about with Kaz, it just opens up you know, the state of the galaxy as far as, you know, leisure and entertainment. So I'm all for that. I'm glad, you know, the writers included that. And I hope it's expanded upon, you know, I I would be fine if, you know, they did a novel at some point which was just about racing. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe if they do resistance um, tie-ins at some point, like, you know, more of a background for Yeager, um, or the the aces. I, mean, I imagine some of them had raced elsewhere and came to the Colossus to do this. Um, we also get more, you know, with Yeager and Doza and their relationship. Uh, it, it was like I talked about. Uh, I think it was last episode. Yeah, it was last episode when, with repairing the the turrets and the targeting computer. Yeah, Doza and Yeager had that relationship where it's about you know. Uh, help, helping each other out and, you know, Yeager working at the Colossus. Makes you wonder how much I mean, Doza really knows about his backstory as to why maybe he said, hey, just, you know, if, you know, years back, he's like, look, I know you've been through some rough stuff. You know, come here, you know, open a shop. You can just lay back if you'll help me out every now and then. Because, you know, like I said in early episodes, it seemed like they had more of a strained relationship that, you know, it was like, this uneasy partnership, but it seems like there's more give and take with them, so that was good to see. Um, and, and before I forget, uh, shout out to uh, voice actor um, Keston John, who who provided the voice of Marcus. I mean, he did a great job. He had uh, this was even though he had the action of the race, it was a very dialogue heavy episode with um, Keston and Scott Lawrence. And, and they both did, did an outstanding job. I've said many times how much of a fan of Scott I am. I'm glad he's on the show as Mark as Jarek. And um, Keston was great. I hope he comes back and we see more of Marcus. Um, 
And, and his uh, sidekicks were fun. We, R4-D12 was a neat design. Um, I, it's, it's interesting how, if, you, if you'll notice, all the aces, too, the droids match up with their pilots as far as their color scheme and everything else. So we got the purple you know, droid going on. And then uh, Oplock uh, was a fun character to have. He's um, what's called a mountain Nikto. Um, he, so he is the same species as um, Niku, just from a different part of the planet. And I, I, I did dig uh, his communication style, where he freaked Kaz and Tam out. So, and then we get what I I loved was uh, this um, first oh, no Force Awakens. The, the kid's like chewing on his the bottles. I don't know. He's got me distracted. Um, the the, the Guavian Death Gang from Force Awakens. Totally unexpected. Um, but it was just a neat tie-in. And it really makes a lot of sense. So they're there, you know, collecting a debt because he, um, you know, caused them some damage. Marcus did. And then... It's, I, I didn't go back and watch Force Awakens, so I can't remember exactly what the reason was. But, you know, they're after Han as well. And uh, it makes me wonder, you know, it, are they, the, the, the Guavian Death Gang, are they involved with, like, illegal racing or, you know, kind of the black market of racing? Because, you know, we know that Han's involved with, or had been involved with it. Um, and then he went back to smuggling after uh, Ben fell to the dark side. I'm sure he's, you know, had dealings with them before, so... I mean, it was easy to, to imagine, like, right after everything's resolved with the Glavians at the end of this episode, that they were, you know, setting their sights on Han, because he owed them also. Uh, so I thought it was a very appropriate tie-in. It wasn't just like a, oh, hey, here's uh, some background characters from uh, The Force Awakens. No, it made sense for them to be there. It would have been neat to see Balatik... Um, yeah, because so he could have delivered the Concha Club line, but um, anyway. But no, it, the Guavians were a cool look anyway um, in Force Awakens, and so I was glad they were there, and they really did serve an appropriate purpose. Um, so good job including them. I was intrigued. Bucket's List mentioned that they were originally were going to include Han in the episode, have him show up. Um, that could have tied in well enough with the Guavians, but. I mean, obviously that's a big deal if one of the big three from the original trilogy shows up at this point. I mean, Le yes, Leia's already been on the show, but she's the leader of the Resistance. That made sense. Um, Han, even though he's on the move with Chewie and their freighter, that would have se seemed more like a, you know, bigger deal drop-in. So I'm kind of, even though I would love to see Han on the show, and considering he doesn't have much time left, given the you know, how close they are to The Force Awakens. Um, it didn't make as much sense. Um, but, you know, say we got this great episode with Marcus. So, yeah, great to see the Guavians. Um, and then... Oh, and the, the other thing I'll mention... It's an excellent callback when, you know, Yeager is trying to call Marcus's bluff, and then... Um, it challenges, it says he'll race, and then, you know, Marcus doesn't back down. He's like, no, I have to race. 
And then Yeager tries to back out, and Kaz is like, no, once you agree to race, you can't back down. And that's the and that's exactly what Jarek said to Kaz in episode one when he uh, was going to race against Tora. So, I mean, good continuity there. Uh, great callback. And, and another great callback is the hyperfuel that Marcus used it to cheat, and that's what caused the wreck at the race where Yeager's family died. I mean, that's why... Uh, yeah, go back and watch Fuel for the Fire. That's why that hyperfuel is such a big deal. I mean, we, we saw what, you know, that little amount in... Um, I am totally blanking on Elijah Wood's character's name. Um, Jace. J Jace Ruckland. Um, yeah, we saw what it did to Jace's ship, so... You know, what it did to Marcus, causing the, the major crash that took out people in the stands. Um, you know, it's just kind of horrifying to think about. Um, but it's a good callback that there's, you know, they're sowing that little bit of continuity in the show to where, you know, they show hyperfuel in episode, in episode, I know, you want it back? Okay. You know, they show that in episode three, and then five episodes later we find out what tragedy it caused in the past. And, I mean, these writers and creators have learned from Dave Filoni. There's no throwaway episode. We learned that lesson with Rebels. Space Whales. You know what I mean. Yeah, there will be... I'm sure there will be many things in the first few episodes that we noticed that will play a part later. And that's just one of them. Um, for the rest of the episode, I'll, I'll talk about the race and how much I loved it. And then I'll just wrap up what we um, what we had with Marcus and Jarek. Okay, so the race is what I've been waiting for. Uh, yes, we've had you know like we got to see um, hype win that race um, in episode one, and then we had the one on one between Tora and Kaz. We've had you know glimpses of the races since then, but nothing like this. This is what I had been waiting for when I saw the trailer, and it includes that shot from the trailer that I love so much and I tweeted it out way back when it's the shot where the race starts and all the ships come out from underneath the Colossus and, and they each have the different uh, jet trails, the different colors and when I saw that shot on the trailer I thought oh man that's what is going to make the show great is all that you know the, the beautiful visuals of the racing and then I had no idea that the they were going to use the rings to such great storytelling in this. It's not just, okay, you got to negotiate through all of them. Anyway, we get to the obstacle course, and the and the rings can spin. So you have to hit it at just the right moment. It's not about, you know, banking correctly. you got to make sure you're hitting it right on time. And we had seen it in the previews, but to put one in suborbital... Um, so that, you know, they have to climb. So, you know, their ships are being tested that way. You know, do they have the pretty much launch capability? And then just the incredible element that you go through that highest ring, it's going to shut your power off, and then you start to free fall back, in, back onto the planet. That is freaking awesome. I would have never thought they would 
do something like that. I thought it was just like, you know, you had to prove that you could get that high and then, you know, come back down and complete the course. No, they are shutting your ship down, man. And that was, that was just incredible. Uh, you know, kudos for coming up with something, something so creative. And, I mean, the visuals were great enough early in the race when there's, you know, ring upon ring, like going underneath the Colossus. And they, you know, made it like a tracking shot where they're on behind, right behind the ship, and you know, behind one of the racers, and then you got the other ones in pursuit. Oh, before I forget, what's up with the Griff cheating? Um, I mean, I understand you know bumping other racers, but is that allowed to where you can like shoot at Bokeevil and you know make him crash into the water? That was a little, that was a little underhanded, Griff. I know your ex-empire is supposed to be, but. But no, but getting back to the climb, yeah, it, it just that, so that's the most beautiful shot in the episode, when they're basically in space and you got Castellan below, and then Jarek has, I mean, he has to manually reconfigure his wings so he can coast back because gravity's taking over, and then he, you know, gets on track and then the fire of reentry starts. Then he, ha uh, that is. Oh man, I can't I can't put it into proper words how beautiful that is. That was just the most incredible. Other than the story, that's the most incredible thing of the episode. Is the you know you know correcting your course and then just floating back you know drifting back down to the planet and hopefully you don't die. Uh, and then we find out the um, oh what they call it. I know you are just you are just so excited too. Oh, the uh, powerless plummet. Yeah. I mean, and, and just the skill involved to... Well, I mean, you would have to do it with your own eyes, visually find where that new that next ring is that would repower the ship. Hold on. Here, play with my coffee cup. you like it. All right, there you go. I mean, as I was on you know, my uh, note-taking rewatch, I was like, you know, from those high shots, you can't even see the ring. At one point, are you going to see the ring and realize, oh, that's where I need to go to restart my ship? I can't. I cannot imagine what that would be like in real life if you're falling like that and you have to hit this one little point that looks like, you know, a dot on your window for a little while, and all of a sudden here it's coming and you got to get right through it, and then you got to, you know, bank off the water before you crash into that. That's just that's just some thrilling TV right there, and I I just hope we get more races like this with that kind of a visual. I, okay, I'm, I'm I'm sidetracking because I'm just lo you know loving what what the race was. All right, let me let me finish with the race. So then, so yeah, the the perilous plummet was thrilling and then it's just like uh, I love how that even because it, you needed to focus on what Yeager and Marcus were saying to each other the fourth phase of the race they didn't even talk about it because it was just go as fast as you can across the water and make it back to the Colossus and get through that last ring so just every every part of the race was outstanding and that's what you know when when you first heard about the the plot of the show 
this is what you wanted to see. So it, it paid off. Um, I mean, the platform classic makes it sound like it's it's the big deal race. It's the Indianapolis 500 of the you know the the circuit or whatever. Um, given that we're finally we're eventually going to hit the events of the Force Awakens. Um, you know, you, you know, any other show you would think like the platform classic could be the season finale where it's that important. I understand why they would need to do it now. Just because of, you know, there's going to be more important things galactically coming on this series. So I loved everything about the race. I'll stop there. Um, but as far as, you know, just... The, I mean, you, as, as I said, the whole episode is about Jarek and Marcus having to come to terms with their differences and the consequences of what happened. And it just climaxed with, like I say, that fourth phase of the race where, the, you know, yes, they're just racing across the water, but that's the most tense moment because of what they're talking about and... You know, Jarek's having to realize, look, you know, my family's not coming back, but I've still got, I've still got family. I know, you know, I've still got family that is here. And then, he, you know, he's trying to understand that Marcus, you know, he's trying to save Oplock's life at this point, because he's being held by the Guavians. He has to win to get the money. And here's where they excelled with this episode. So I'm watching it with my son last night, and he's, you know, typical kid. He's like, Who, "Who's gonna win?" I'd already seen it. He knew I already, I had already seen it, and he's like, "Who, who do you think's gonna win the race?" And I was like, "Oh, you'll have to find out." No, you, you know, go ahead and tell me. Just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it. No, you go ahead and tell me. And I just didn't want to. I wanted him to watch it. For one thing, I wanted him to see how it's won. You know. It's not just the fact that, you know, Marcus wins. It's that Jarek stepped aside for the greater good. So, okay, here you go. So, we're, you know, we're watching it, and he's like, even during the race, he's like, who's going to win? Who's going to win? I was like, you, you, just just wait. They're, they're almost to the end. They're almost to the end. So, we get there, and, you know, he sees that, you know, Jarek pulled aside, let Marcus win. Because they were coming to an understanding. And then after the episode, he's like, "So who, who you know, who you, you know who won the race?" I was like, "Yeah, it was Marcus." And he said, "No, Yeager won because he was being nice." And I was like, "Yeah, but so you know, I'm trying to you know make sure he, he, he was making the point that I thought he was." I said, "So Yeager, by letting Marcus win, he won because he was doing the good thing." And my son said, yeah, that's, that's what he was doing. He, he was being nice and letting Marcus go ahead, but he won. And then, and I even told Doc Wyatt this. The fact, I mean, I don't know about any other, about any other people, but they, they got, they got, they got across to my, sorry, sorry, sorry. Somebody's being excited today. I mean, they got across to my five-year-old that just because you cross the finish line first or don't cross the finish line first doesn't 
dictate who wins and loses. That the decisions you make and what you do for the greater good can determine if you win. Bravo to them. Um, I'm just so glad my son understood that just by watching a race on a Star Wars cartoon. Uh, that was important. Yeah, I, I... I'm getting a little emotional just talking about it because, I mean, it's, it's a touchy subject, you know, when you know you find out why one of your main character's family dies. But then you also have to, you know, make it for kids and teach them a good lesson, and they did that, at least with us. So, good job, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how much uh, really else I need to say. Like, like I say, it got better on multiple viewings, especially when you know, like, what the big, you know, what the big twist was and all that. So, and then, at, at the very end, you know, it caps off the eager and Kaz... And it, and it happened the episode before. They're coming to more of an understanding of each other, and I like that. Um, they're not necessarily becoming friends, as Kaz and BBA talk about, but they're, um, you know, they're, they're they're understanding each other, and that's good. You know, I can't wait to see what's next with uh, the series. Um, they just released a preview of the next one. Um, it's going to have, um, I think Commander Pyre comes back, and then uh, it's more about what's going on in Doza Tower. Uh, we might have a lot of stuff revealed. <coughs> All right, Mr. Mister Loud. Here you go. Finish your bottle. Um, so, in, in summation, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the most action-packed or... Uh, episode like that, you know, because, like I say, no First Order, no pirates. But what they were able to accomplish with the, just that personal, emotional story between two brothers against the backdrop of a visually thrilling race that we had all been waiting for uh, made for a really great episode. Um, don't think I can say more than that. I enjoyed it. And I cannot wait to see what happens next with our characters, because uh, we're really getting to, especially the the you know the everybody on Team Fireball, we're learning more about them, and uh, they're really enduring themselves, at least as far as I'm concerned. But that'll wrap it up. Um, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Radio Dakar, R A D I O D Q A R. Uh, feel free to. Uh, let me know what you thought of the episode or what you th thought of uh, this podcast. Um, again, uh, if, if you go on SoundCloud or iTunes, um, look up Radio Dakar, you'll find all the old episodes. Uh, I've got the holiday special where, where we reviewed Lego Star Wars All-Stars. We're going to do that again around Christmas time uh, once all those episodes uh, are finally released. Um, again, I've got the Bloodline book review on there if you... Um, you know, just want a summary of that, or if you if you've already read it. Um, 
But until next time, I will see you next week for the next review. Thank you to my very happy studio audience today. And I will see you next time. Until then, may the Force be with you.